Over the course of the last 20 years, we've been blessed to be able to talk to many wonderful spiritual leaders in our Catholic Christian community. Probably one of the top highlights in those conversations was one that my husband Bruce and I had with the late Father Benedict Rochelle. It's still very special to me. And over the years, I've gone back and I've listened to his wisdom over and over again. It never grows old. So here you go. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Father Benedict Rochelle. Christian community. Good morning. Welcome to Spirit Mornings with Bruce McGregor and Chris McGregor. And Chris, it's not often we say that we have a blessing uh, among us, but we certainly do today. We're joined by Father Benedict Rochelle, Professor of Pastoral Psychology at St. Joseph Seminary, New York, also Director of the Office for Spiritual Development in the Archdiocese of New York, and an internationally known lecturer and retreat master. Also the host of a favorite program of ours and many of our listeners, Sunday Night Live, that airs every Sunday evening on EWTN. And he is the author of numerous books, many from our Sunday visitor, including the one that we're going to be talking about with him today, The Virtue Driven Life. Father Benedict, good morning. Thank you for being with us and our listeners today. We are deeply appreciative. Well, since I only recently got back from Lincoln and from your part of the world, I'm delighted to say hello and to report that at least the few days that I spent in Lincoln were nice and warm. I came from Milwaukee, which was freezing cold, so it was nice to be in Lincoln and see any number of my students who are priests in Lincoln Diocese. We've been very blessed with not only great weather, but also a, a thriving faith community that really has benefited from your spiritual writings and also your television appearances, Father Groeschel. We just are so thankful that you are Spending some time for us. This is the best kind of Christmas gift we could get. Oh, my. Well, I'm delighted to do it. So tell me, what would we like to know about our book? The Virtue Driven Life is, I think, such an important book for our times right now because, as you point out, that virtue has become a forgotten word. Yes, it really had. And that was partly the influence of psychology. 30 or 40 or 50 years ago, and it was partly due to the theological confusion that existed in the 70s and 80s. And in the midst of that confusion, many people who taught theology or taught seminaries came to depend much too much on secular psychology, so they decided there was no such thing as virtue. And that really has, has hurt us because, as you point out, psychology was an attempt primarily to drive out needs or illnesses that people had instead of building up the whole person. Yes, psychology was focused on pathology, and that's not surprising, because why would people go to a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist? Well, because they feel sick. Mm -hmm. But actually, the focus of medicine is to make you feel better but you only think about it when you feel sick. So when people were troubled, they thought about psychology, but in the broad picture, it's part of the responsibility of religions and particularly of the Catholic Church to see that you have a cultural and psychological environment in which people can grow humanly and spiritually. 
I think you point out also in the book that the church fathers, along with the Greeks and the moral philosophers, were like the first psychologists because they were interested in doing just that. Well, the two great psychologists of the Christian era beginning, say, at the end of the persecutions, uh, in 300, were St. Augustine and St. Gregory Bishop of Nyssa, an Eastern or Greek-speaking bishop. And uh, St. Augustine wrote the first psychological autobiography in the history of the world, and it was 1,200 years before anybody else wrote another one. That's the Confessions of St. Augustine. What an immensely impressive man St. Augustine is. And he writes so much about psychology without using the word. Uh, Psychology is the study of the human mind and of the soul. And the virtues are intrinsic to us being able to live out. There's this play between the virtues and the vices. I think for so many Catholics even today, maybe because we haven't been taught or catechized properly, I don't think we could even name the virtues, let alone know how to live them out. Well, that may be true. Anybody who went to Catholic school years ago knew that the four principal or cardinal virtues were prudence, justice, temperance, courage or fortitude. And then along with them were the infused theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Now, the first list may seem a bit short. It comes from the Greek philosopher Plato and the fathers of the church built on it. But those virtues have departments. So, for instance, justice would also have been seen as social responsibility, responsibility for the poor people of one's society. Uh, temperance would have included chastity in one's state of life, etc., etc. The interesting thing, absolutely positively fascinating thing, is that the world of psychology suddenly got interested in virtue. This is incredible. And this began with, really, with a man named Dr. Aaron Beck, who was a professor of psychiatry, retired now at the University of Pennsylvania. And then after him, Dr. Martin Seligman, S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N, and Dr. Peterson, who wrote an incredible book called Character Straits and Virtues published by the American Psychological Association. This book, which is a professional book, it's not a book mm-hmm. popularly read, a book for psychiatrists and psychologists, this gigantic tome published about virtue by the American Psychological Association is like having the League of the Militant Godless publish the Diary of St. Faustina. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 181 degree turn. It's, wow. I, I, in my old age, I've come back to life. I can't believe this. And it, it's just marvelous. Unfortunately, religious people haven't caught up with it. Mm-hmm. Particularly the, the seminaries and Catholic colleges and religious colleges they don't even know what's going on. See, one of the problems with academia is that people get tenure. Uh, so they get tenure when they're 35. Mm-hmm. Have another thought until they're seventy when they retire. 
they, they use the same old notes, the same old book. And because they get kind of used to those ideas. But he was a revolution. Here I am at the ripe old age of 73, and I had to revise all my notes to teaching pastoral counsel. Sounds like the work of the Holy Spirit. I certainly not. <laughs> Anybody that could move the American Psychological Association out of this practical atheism into preaching about virtue. Uh, I want to tell you, the only one you could blame that on would be the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He could do it. And when the Holy Spirit does things, he does funny things. The Holy Spirit represents God's sense of humor. And believe me, this is hysterically funny. <laughs> <laughs> now, Father, in the book, of course, you point out there are what we call natural or human virtues. And there's also uh, the more supernatural moral virtues. Can you talk a little bit about and, and help us distinguish between those two? This was a distinction. But if you went to Catholic school 50 or 60 years ago, they kept before your eyes. Mm-hmm. Let's take something like courage. Okay? Okay. Courage. It's a virtue that permits us to endure difficult things or to face dangerous things for what is right and just. The natural quality of virtue uh, comes from, uh, uh, it can come from the good part of human nature, the unaffected part by original sin, so that people can be courageous in many different causes and in many different forms of life. And the purpose of natural courage is to get your life organized with whatever potentials you have mm-hmm. so that you lead a good life. On the other hand, the supernatural Christian virtue of courage means that you organize your life and face difficulties and dangers for a holy life and for life after death. The goal of natural virtue is a good life in this world. The goal of supernatural virtue is eternal life. They're not contradictory to each other most of the time, but they could be. Uh, take take a virtue like prudence, mm-hmm. oh, using your potentials well. Natural prudence would tell you, well, whatever you do, try to stay alive and don't get killed. Supernatural prudence would say, well, you've got to even risk your life for what is good. Now, in the play and in the film, Man for All Seasons, which is a wonderful life of St. Thomas More, mm-hmm. in that play, uh, Robert Bolt, the, uh, the, the playwright, brings out beautifully the difference between natural and supernatural prudence. Uh, Thomas More has refused to take the oath offered by the king or ordered by the king that the king is the head of the church. And so the Earl of Essex, this big burly bear of a fellow, comes to see him. Thomas, take the oath. It doesn't bother me one little bit to take the oath. And my conscience doesn't bother me, so I took the oath. So the king is the head of the church. And Thomas More says, I'm glad it doesn't bother me. That's wonderful, it doesn't bother me. 
but it bothers me. Mm-hmm. So if you take it, it'll be a terrible sin, and I'll go to hell. And if you take it, it doesn't do you any harm at all. Right. Well, who does the world remember? You would never have heard of the Earl of Essex if it wasn't for Thomas More. Right. He's one of these people like Pontius Pilate. Who would have ever heard about Pontius Pilate if it hadn't been for Christ? Mm-hmm. We condemned to death. So, uh, it, it, the Earl of Essex goes down to history because he was a friend of Thomas More. And the Earl of Essex died in bed. A wealthy man, at a fairly old age, he died in, in bed. Thomas More was beheaded on Tower Hill. It's a terrible way to die. And uh, it was... Uh, an awful, horrible fate. But if you go to London now, you will find no image of the Earl of Essex. Mm-hmm. But outside the Anglican Church, called Chelsea Old Church, is a marvelous, beautiful bronze statue of Thomas More seated, looking like Holbein's painting of St. Thomas More, with the broken amulet of the Lord Chancellor on his leg, his knees, and the crucifix around his neck. And it says on the bottom of the statue, Thomas More, writer, statesman, saint. Mm. So even the world comes to admire, uh, comes to admire uh, people of great virtue. You point that out so clearly. I, I was so moved in, in how you wrote of the example of also Edith Stein. Yes, Edith Stein. I mean, she could have fled. Everybody no. told her a prudent thing would it, to have fled, but she chose to stay. Chose to stay. She would not leave her dear sister behind. And uh, many, many people did that. Some people prudently and wisely risked their lives and survived. Mm-hmm. And so we don't understand that because they they didn't uh, go seeking to get killed, but they weren't afraid to risk their lives. Another virtue that you point out, and it really t- made me go to prayer and ponder this, was of justice, because you point out that you cannot live in this very wealthy nation and not participate in some injustice. And I think we really struggle with that, mm-hmm. or even to, to have a comprehension of that in this country. Well, my favorite example right now is that we have 10 million serfs in this country. Yeah. People who live as serfs, and these are the migratory workers in the far west who support the economy. Mm-hmm. The economy operates on green groceries and so lettuce, tomatoes, things like that, peppers, grapes, and these people all have phony green cards. Everybody knows they have phony green cards. Mm-hmm. They pay about $100 for a counterfeit green card. The company hires them, and they pay Social Security. Mm-hmm. And they never get one penny. And why do we not give them a work permit? Because we couldn't go on without them. Right. And the reason we don't give them a work permit, ultimately, is we want to steal their Social Security. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it's an injustice. We should speak out about it. 
think of the outrageous injustice that was done to African-American people from the time of slavery, and which even to this day persists in some form. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was about 13 years old, I all of a sudden realized what an awful injustice And I have always made it a point to reach out to the African-American community. And I have to say, they've always made it a point to reach back. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, you know, we, we see people often victims of, uh, of abuse of one kind or another. Reach out to them, and they will reach back. Maybe they'll be angry at first, but they will reach back. I, saw, I learned that from Mother Teresa. Mm. Yeah. No matter who Mother Teresa was dealing with, she was always kind, always showed that she cared about them. And sometimes people I came at Mother Teresa in a rather nasty way, hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> she always be kind. Uh, and I think that's what we're called to. I mean, again, there's the difference because there there are many who will say, here's the natural justice that they break a law, we have laws, they should have formed this. But then the supernatural justice would say, what is it that Christ calls us to above and beyond? And a person may properly and rightly be punished, but they shouldn't be punished in a cruel way. Mm-hmm. And when I see justice being administered, it's often administered in a cruel way. I was in prison myself uh, with Bishop George Lynch, who was 83, mm-hmm. Father Fidelis in our community. The three of us went to jail for saying the rosary in front of an abortion clinic. And uh, this is Westchester County Jail, high class New York, an uh, area that's at least 30 or 40% Catholic. The guards were Catholic. And we were treated with indignity. Mm. We were strip searched three times in 24 hours. Mm. It's utterly mm. called for. A man who was arrested for a traffic violation was strip searched in a nearby county, and he sued and was awarded $300,000. Mm. Wow. I should have taken the 300000 <laughs> from expectant mother care center. There you go. Absolutely. Uh, and that really leads to that, the virtue of temperance that you write about, which I think is so important. And you say the devout Christian should never be extravagant in lifestyle or personal expenditure. And that's exactly the opposite of what the culture is telling you today. I mean, especially right now. And we should never use people as objects. Mm-hmm. Ever, ever, ever. The essential evil of lust is using people as objects. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sexual behavior in itself is by no means a bad thing. An institution of God, the procreation of the human race, and in the Catholic religion, it's part of the sacrament. It Mm -hmm. it gives grace. So the very behaviors themselves are not bad. It's the circumstances that make them bad people aren't married or people of the same sex or whatever it happens to be. Um, but the behavior in itself is not bad behavior. 
Why is it wrong? Because it uses another person, as does pornography, as a pornographic movie. Having worked with the poor all my life, I've known kids who have, young people, young adults, who have performed in pornographic movies and, and things like that, pose for the magazine, girls and boys. Mm-hmm. You know, they all did it for exactly the same reason. One word, cocaine. Mm-hmm. The drug industry and the pornography industry are the same industry. And people don't realize if they watch some pornography on the, on the television that that poor person that they're watching is a media prostitute. Yeah. And you know, I've always made it a point all my life, working with poor people almost 50 years, I always treat people with dignity. And do you know, I have never, ever, ever had a girl in prostitution be fresh or forward or disrespectful in any way. Never. It's a perfect record. And uh, the same is true, interestingly, for very obvious women homosexuals. They often come on people with a little chip on the shoulder, but I always am a gentleman, and they always act perfectly. Uh, they're delighted to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they become almost like uh, youngsters showing you a picture of Jesus that they drew. Because nobody's nice to them. Right. Or at least nobody on the other side. So, uh, and we read in the Gospels that Jesus was often criticized for eating with publicans and harlots. Why did he do this? Because he was, he says himself, I did not come to save the saved. I came to save the lost, which is one of the things I again learned from Mother Teresa. I never saw Mother Teresa scandalize or turn away with disgust or even talk about what a mess they What you were able to do and how you approach them, Father, really exemplifies what the theological virtues do for us, especially that of charity. Yes, well, that, of course, is the pure gift of God, charity. And, I mean, I watched someone who must have been the most charitable person of her time, Mother Teresa. I walked with her for 32 years, would you believe? Mm. Half my life. Wow. 64 when she died, and I knew her 32 years. And uh, uh, always kindness and charity. And you know, Mother Teresa was tough. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks, oh, it was so wonderful knowing Mother Teresa. Well, let me tell you, she could draw a sweet little sacred heart and grenade on you if she wanted to. You were falling short of the gospel idea. <laughs> give you a sweet little needle so sweetly and properly and Victorian better. But it was like getting harpooned by Captain Ahab. <laughs> it took me weeks to recover. <laughs> oh, no. uh, and you point out that for for true charity and uh, true love is the most important element is forgiveness. Oh yeah, and as the American Psychological Association again, Doctor Fitzgibbons, Richard Fitzgibbons, 
in his book, Helping Clients Forgive. He points out that the Christian definition of forgiveness is you have to give something away. You have to give away your right to be angry at this person, to hold a grudge, to be, you know, uh, hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know whether... See, I grew up in the Irish Catholic community, despite my name. Mm-hmm. We have a joke in the Irish Catholic community. Irish Alzheimer's. You forget everything but your hurt feeling. Oh, no. <laughs> Keep a grudge going for, for generations. Oh, yeah, I don't know that and, one. And we have to give it away. But that requires grace, doesn't it? Because, yeah, it again, does. it doesn't yeah. come from us. It's an infused virtue. You can be kindly without an infused virtue. Lots of people are kind. Mm-hmm. Pagans can be kind. I have, I have atheists to send me money for our work with the poor. Guy sends me a $25 check every once in a while. Mm-hmm. I'm an atheist, but I think what you guys are doing for the poor is great. Sure, he, he's kindly. It, it doesn't look like the virtue of charity. Mm-hmm. Maybe they way down underneath. It really is. Maybe he has. He's one of those many atheists that way at the dark corner of their soul they believe. Mm-hmm. You know. And I mean, really, Father, because uh, all of these uh, are gifts from God and, and and grace. I mean, these are things that we really can't you know, kind of attain on our own. I mean, we need, we really need that grace. And and, the, and in particular, the sacraments where grace abounds. And uh, to, to get started, you need your initial grace of God, mm-hmm. which came to many of us as children from our family. But adults, I mean, I know people, five years ago, they were absolute atheists, anti-religious and everything else. And at this point, they're believers. And good believers. So, the, the Lord was talking to them. St. Augustine said after his conversion, with an unheard voice, you called to me, and with a hidden goad, you prodded me. So, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is doing his work, and that's what, what virtue is about. And it's amazing how virtue infused virtue can come into lie. You know, when Mao Zedong, great enemy of religion and democracy, was dying, he asked to see Henry Kissinger. So Kissinger went over, and I read a description of the interview. In a half an hour, three times, Mao Zedong used the Chinese expression, I have my invitation from God, which means I'm dying. And at the end, he said to Kissinger, Kissinger, God likes you, but he doesn't like me. Mm. Why couldn't I? Wow. He was thinking about God. Wow. You know, when Lenin was dying, the quotation is very well known. He says, I look back on my life, and I see an ocean of blood. I could have saved Russia if I had ten men like Francis of Assisi. Mm, wow. You see, so uh, you never know when God is going to knock on the door of someone's heart. Father, we so appreciate you giving us yet another gift of wisdom in the virtue-driven life. You're talking to a faith community here in the Archdiocese of Omaha and Lincoln and the surrounding area 
that I truly believe we try to do the right thing. I mean, we've passed laws against partial birth abortion, which the courts overturn. We pass marriage amendments and the courts overturn. But we keep trying. We keep struggling, even in the face of those seemingly adversities in this community, to try to do the right thing. Look, the people who went out there 150 years ago, they got 100 acres and an axe from the government. There was nothing out there. Mm-hmm. And they built up the breadbasket of America. You know, I mean, the people in the Midwest, uh, they didn't quit. They kept right on going on. And what did they have? Faith. Mm-hmm. Ellis Island and the Immigration Museum there is a, a big case with religious articles. They're not fancy or expensive. They were the religious articles of the immigrants. Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist. And the sign says, almost all of the immigrants came with faith in God, packed among their things. Mm-hmm. And it stood them in good stead in the new world. So, uh, I'm not worried about religion. I'm worried about its undertakers. They're going to get buried. Too Mm. bad. I hope we can bring them around. Well, the Holy Spirit, if they can bring those psychologists around, Father. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) The American Psychological Association. (laughs) That's right. The Berlin Wall, then the psychologist. What's next? Oh, my Lord. (laughs) I told you, just like the Communist Secret Amazing. Absolutely. I may even go to another convention. I belong to the thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I never went to the convention. Father, we want to God thank you so you much. And, your, and I wish all of my friends out in the Midwest the very best for the new year. Right. Thank God you, Father. Bless.